Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. So glad we're going to spend the hour together. Okay, we're going to talk about your marriage. Oh, wait, don't walk out of the room. Come on, come on back. We're going to talk about how you can really change the dynamic in your marriage. Because did you know that you have the freedom to choose to respond rather than react? Now, just think about your dynamic with your spouse. Do you react to what he does or what she does? And does that cause sparks? And is it violating the sense of intimacy and your desire to cleave, as the word tells us? Well, roll up your sleeves. We're going to do some work this hour, but it's all going to be worth it when it's said and done. Let me tell you first about the Welch Family Therapy Institute that was founded by Dr. Don Welch, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist with over 30 years of experience in the fields of mental health and relationship skills. He founded the Center for Enriching Relationships, ER, in 2002, There are currently 10 sites with 30 therapists and 50 university students in training that are serving thousands of clients throughout San Diego, California. He oversees a partnership between CER and Point Loma Nazarene University to train and provide clinical hours to students in the Master of Arts in Clinical Counseling. He's a published author, a university professor. He speaks at conferences and churches, retreats, seminars throughout the U.S., And check this. Talk about book learning. He has a bachelor's degree, not one, not two, three master's degrees and a doctorate degree. Today, we're going to talk about his book, 
the responsive marriage, finding the path out of reactivity. We're going to talk about that word reactivity a lot. But first, Dr. Welch, the warmest of welcomes. I'm three you're here, and questioning minds want to know, why three masters and in what areas? <laughs> it's so nice to meet you, Janet. Thank you for having me on your show. You're so my welcome. Kids tell me, my kids tell me about the, the different degrees. They say, Dad, I think you just were a slow learner. <laughs> so it took you a long time to get there. And then I told them, well, it was 14 years after college. And they said, we know you're a slow learner. So we'll <laughs> never try to copy that. <laughs> but they were, my undergrad was in uh, biblical literature. So I actually, as a therapist, I look first through Bible, the Bible lens. And I had two masters. One is a master's in Christian ed, religion, and then the other is an MDiv, like a master of divinity. Um, and then I have a master's in marriage and family therapy. So, yes, that's a little bit about that. That's a little overdone. Uh, there must be something wrong with me mentally to have done that. So, <laughs> Actually, I had exactly the opposite response. You know, I've said a thousand times over that I so appreciate the world of those who deal with mental health and interpersonal dynamics and really are called to be counselors. But I'm going to just put real transparency out on the table. If you don't have a bibliocentric worldview, you're just not getting the whole package. And so for you to spend all that time understanding what it means to look at life and personal interaction through the lens of Scripture changes the ball game completely. So I have to ask, with those three fascinating masters, again, underscoring biblical, 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 what was the doctorate in? Oh, the doctorate was in, uh, it's a PhD in education. So how we learn, it's actually how we learn things. So it's been incredibly important uh, as a licensed marriage and family therapist, kind of in an educational perspective as someone is in the office. It's able to learn is one of the most difficult things mm-hmm. when we have emotional issues in our life to change a behavior. So that's that's my background, yes. Wow. And that works perfectly into what we're going to talk about in a bit about reactivity. But let me just back up before then. I just love it when people respond to the call in their life to go into counseling and to deal with mental health and relationship skills. Was that a passion for yours? Did you wake up one day and say, oh, this sounds like a good idea? Or was there something in your life experience that made you say, oh, I really want to pursue this? Because <laughs> slow or not, you spend an awful lot of time diving into the books to learn the Word of God and learn how people learn. So there, that passion has to come from somewhere to have that stick to to last that long. That's the most comprehensive question I've been ever asked Thank you for asking that. I've never been asked it quite that way because I, I did a minor in psychology in my undergrad. Mm. was thinking I, I really want to go in and help and counsel people, but I felt a call to ministry, which I'm an ordained minister and have served as a senior and associate pastors, pastor in, over the years. And what I found is that people would come to know the Lord and they genuinely love Jesus, and they, and yet they have these proclivities. Not all. Some people are completely healed of, like, someone leaving their cigarettes, if you will, at the, mm-hmm. which is not a good habit, by the way, but leaving their <laughs> cigarettes on the altar, and yet then have this pro- proclivity to go back to it, even though they love Jesus. And it caused me to ponder. So during my journey, I really wanted to fulfill what I believe was my original call as a pastor to find a way to serve uh, the local church. And that's what this this book and all the materials we have are trying to serve the local church for marriages and people who are planning to be married or they're looking to be married or uh, they're considering it. 
that, uh, so that's my journey. Thank you for asking. I don't think anyone has really asked it in the way you have, Janet. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And I just, I, I was want to thank you because uh, I remember attending a summit in D.C. with representatives from various aspects of um, all of the interdisciplines that interact with dealing with the mental health issue. And it was so interesting that when you get secular universities, Ivy League schools, and they've done survey yes. after survey that after a patient receives a diagnosis, they don't run to their therapist. They run to their faith right. leader, a priest, an imam, Absolutely. a pastor. And so when yes. you talk about helping the local church, you have yes. all of those initials after your name. So that you're taking, in many respects, the burden off the pastor who already wears 15 different hats and, you know, works 90 hours a week. Now you can step into that vein to do the kind of intensive counseling that's so tremendously necessary, takes the burden off, it preempts potential pro uh, problems in the future, um, and is a tremendous service to the church, which takes me to the church. One of the things that we struggle with, and I have mm -hmm. heard it over and over and over again, is that when it comes to the issues of mental health in the church, capital C, Universal, there's still a stigma. Now, you hear the music playing, and I don't want you to have to rush the response. So let me just ask the question, if I may, and please get the response on the other side. But you're doing it through the work that you've done, hence the 10 sites with 30 therapists and 50 university students in training. But how do we eliminate the stigma in dealing with the areas of mental health? We're going to talk about reactivity in a marriage. That's all a mental health thing. It's emotional. There's a spiritual aspect to that as well. But for many people, it's like, no, no, I'm just going to read the Word of God and I don't have to do anything else. And the rest of it is psychobabble. And it, it belies the help and the support and the nurturing people can get from wonderfully skilled people like you, Dr. Well. So stigma questions on the table. I'll get a response after this. Back after this, friends. Who is God? Why am I here? How should I live? Could you find the answer to those crucial questions from God's Word? That's why I've chosen I Believe as this month's truth tool. Learn the essentials of our faith in a clear and succinct way. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We have the privilege of spending the hour with Dr. Don Welch. He joins us today as the author of the book, The Responsive Marriage, Finding the Path Out of Reactivity. And yeah, friends, we're going to get some new words this hour, but Dr. Welch will explain them for us. After all, he understands how we learn, so he's going to teach us some things this hour as well. But I really would love to hear, particularly with your 30-plus years of experience, how we, every single member of, member of us, a uh, part of the body of the church, how we can eliminate the idea of stigma. I've used this example a million times, and yes, I'm going to say it one more time. So when once upon a time we used to have midweek prayer meetings and we would get together in a circle and we put out prayer requests without skipping a beat, someone would say, please pray for my sister. She has stage two breast cancer. But people will hold back by saying, please pray for my sister. She's just been diagnosed as bipolar one. So we've got a problem there. Why and how do we eliminate it? Well, first of all, I think, Janet, we don't understand it like mm -hmm. a bipolar diagnosis, which I was working with my associates on this week. Well, first of all, we need to go to the Bible. Proverbs fifteen twenty-two. I think it's the New King James Version, says, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in mm -hmm. the multitude of counselors, they are established. Another way to say it, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of care, counselors, there is safety. And the Bible talks about it. this as a spiritual gift. Mm. And so our pastors are counselors, without a doubt. 
and then we work with science, and it oftentimes, if it speaks of truth, it's speaking of God's truth, just revealing what is truth, although I think the psychological area of the world, we kind of think we're acute and we're, we're learning it for the first time when actually it was likely a truth directly from God's heart. Yes. Oh, that's what a beautiful response. And so there isn't any fear. It's not an either or. It's a both. And I love the way that you say that science confirms what God has already revealed to us, which is wonderful. So what about those dragons that people have to slay in their own life that they're reticent to show up, for example, uh, and visit the Welch Family Therapy Institute because I might have unconfessed sin in my life or I don't have enough faith or uh, whatever excuse we use to avoid the wonderful grace and experience we can learn by going to someone like you. So how do we stop those voices in our head? Oh, it's such a great question. I know from a pastor's standpoint, my experience, people coming in and as a clinician, licensed mental health provider. And the key thing, I believe, is that not that a pastor would judge. However, one of the strong skills of a licensed professional is that they work diligently not to judge. So mm. it's a free, judged environment. And we provide that to create a safe way for people to process. Not that pastors don't do that, but there is a skill that's really honed, really on the anvil of pain, mm. to be non-judgmental and help the patient to really be able to explore, because we're obligated by the Board of Behavioral Science Law, and that states that we cannot share, as you know, we're a mandated reporter, which means if there's someone going to harm themselves or others or protected classes, we have to mm -hmm. uh, breach the confidence by helping to protect people. But otherwise, we're mandated uh, to not share that that information. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, and I hope that that's a comfort to people who've been struggling. And by the way, when you're under that mandate to report, remember that's always done out of care for the patient. That's never done uh, purposely to violate anybody's privacy, but really for their care. And that comes from a place of compassion, which is so important. So I want to get to some of the new language that I learned reading your book, The Responsive Marriage. And you talk about an enemy and you brilliantly point out a truism, which is if the enemy goes completely unnoticed and unacknowledged, that's when danger escalates. That's just a general truism straight across the board. But the enemy you say you talk about in the book is what you call involuntary, operative word, involuntary, reactivity. Before we get to the involuntary, if you'd be so kind, give us the definition of the word reactivity. So, yes, that when we look at reactivity, it's describing something that just happens to us. So, for example, our interactions with each other in any relationships, they're a series of send and reply. And so what we're trying to do, we, we want to ensure our messages to each other are responsive. This means they originate from the thinking part of the brain hmm. and are voluntary deliberate, and relationship-enhancing. But you asked about the reactive. Unfortunately, without intervention, we tend to lean towards reactive messages. This means that they originate from the feeling part of the brain and are largely involuntary, uncontrolled, and can be relationship-impeding. Mm. So I always think from the Scriptures first. I know I said that earlier, Janet, if I may just add in Philippians 4, which we, we many of us have it memorized, such a great verse, you know, be anxious for nothing, mm. but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And it tells how God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we could have, God could have said, now, Paul, when you write this, I want to make sure that you say, I'm going to guard their mind in Christ 
and then heart. But it says heart and mind. Mm. And God's Word is always true. Science has come along with that, and there is a strong belief in science that we feel things before we think them. For example, 1898, uh, that we know William James, considered the pioneer of the scientific movement, said, when I cry, I know I'm sad. When I laugh, I know I'm happy. And so there is a lot of literature that's supporting this strongly, uh, both from the Bible and from science, that says that we may feel something before we think it. Absolutely fascinating. I want to linger here. So in other verbiage, we could call it the affective side of the brain versus the cognitive side of the brain, active of how we feel, cognitive, the thinking part of the brain. So I'm going to ask a, a philosophical question. So Oxford University picks as the word of the year a few years back, post-truth. Sadly, it's defined as we don't care about truth anymore. It's feelings that are preeminent. They supersede truth. And um, I think the word was chosen because that's what we're seeing in the culture around us today. The reactive from the affective as opposed to thinking it through and the cognitive. Um, so my question, and again, the music. So if I may, let me ask and I'll get the answer on the other side. In a post-truth world, we are living in an environment that actually fosters this negative reactivity that says it's your feelings over everything else. What you're going to teach us and what you do in the book, The Responsive Marriage, teach us is you have a choice. You can choose whether it's going to come out of those feelings or whether or not you're going to choose and have a healthy reaction. More with Dr. Don Welch when we return. The book again is called The Responsive Marriage, Finding the Path Out of Reactivity. Good stuff. A lot more coming your way. We're spending the hour with Dr. Don Welch, who is the founder and CEO of the Welch Family Therapy Institute. He's also a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist with over 30 years of experience in the fields of mental health and relationship skills. He joins us today as the author of the book, The Responsive Marriage, Finding the Path Out of Reactivity. And we're just starting to dive into this concept of reactivity. So let me make my question as a recap much more succinct. You're a radical, Dr. Welch, because you're living in a world that says, hey, it's feelings. Everything is about feelings. That's why I think we're seeing the kind of lawlessness we're seeing today, the the lack of character, the rudeness, the all sorts of things where there's no filter. There's no stop, think before you act. It's just because feelings are preeminent. And I saw this experimentation, talking about education, I saw this in school when there was an experimentation with kids where we didn't care if Johnny couldn't spell. We wanted him to feel good about it. So we called it the affective approach toward education as opposed to the cognitive. So he couldn't put two sentences together, but he felt good about the sentences that he put together. When Johnny grows up and graduates, he's not going to get a job because he can't write two sentences. So it was educational malpractice. It was an experiment that I thought would go away. And in fact, it's just gotten deeper and deeper. And now, like an opportunistic infection, it's infiltrated the entire culture where feelings supersede everything. You're a radical because you're saying, wait a minute, you have the choice to stop and think. So a couple of questions at the 35,000-foot level. Why the shift? Why? What, I mean, I don't know that my parents or my grandparents didn't stop and think. I'm sure that given our basics in nature, we all make mistakes. But there seemed to have been a little filter or switch that they could control that we have abandoned or chosen not to flip now. Your thoughts? 
Yes, I think beginning with Philippians 4.8, where it says, you know, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Bible proclaims and declares our prefrontal cortex that we have. Yet, I think it's the science movement that has led us to believe that feelings are most important. Mm. And one of the reasons I believe that's the case is because we we've had times where there's terrible wars and people are not taught to think. They're taught to obey, or they hide their feelings, or they push them down. And then science has come along and said that your feelings matter, which is true. They do. However, if we miss the mooring, the mooring is to think on these things. So, Mm. for example, again, if I just may just redefine this, I define reactivity, uh, Janet, as involuntary, uncontrolled relationship-impeding behaviors that originate as you would say, from the affect, you know, originate from the feeling part of the brain known as the limbic system. And because they originate from the feeling part of the brain rather than the thinking part, they are largely outside of our conscious awareness. And this is what makes reactivity so insidious. Mm. We are often not even aware we are rolling our eyes, sighing in exasperation, turning away from a spouse, or acting in other ways that tend to create distance. And what that does then is it does away with intimacy because God wants us to be fully known and faithfully loved in a marriage. And he fully loves us and (laughs) fully knows us and faithfully loves us. That's the great kenosis passage. Mm -hmm. And so what we've seen is this shift because of honoring one's feelings and there's certain literature that's come out that, that has been questioned that just leads everyone down this road that your feelings are most important when actually God did not give the prefrontal cortex to our dog. We have a beautiful Aussie. We think she can understand us. We, we talk to her. I, I'm one of those men that talk in this you know, high voice and, hey, honey, and do all of that. That's really ridiculous for a man to do, I guess. But she does not understand it. She obeys. That's about the only thing she can do. She knows our love and can sense that. I, I, we understand that from research. So you see in all, all textbooks at college, you see three brains, a cat, a dog's, and a, a human. And it shows the major difference. And so I think we've leaned too much into the feelings. Yes. Yes. What a great answer. And thank you for sort of affirming what I sensed as well. So another question came to my mind when I was reading about the idea of involuntary reactivity, if it is almost on a preconscious level, because you write yes. that uh, this happens before I'm even aware of it, this this reactivity, for people who are thinking, well, that's it, I'm not going to bother to listen to the conversation because if it's, you know, preconscious and it's just going to blurt out, I can't possibly learn how to control it. I know this is the primary thesis of your book, but do we have any control if, in fact, it is preconscious or involuntary? Well, this is the real important piece. You're asking the paramount question of what we've done in the book, or tried to do, and tried to relay, is that a lot of our behaviors are truly out of our awareness. Like, have you ever said something? I know I have. I've said something and go, why did I say that? Mm -hmm. And I didn't take enough time to use my if I can say, the prefrontal cortex and and analyze it, because I'm a little more of an extrovert, so it gets me into trouble at times, because I'll say something to know what I think, versus an introvert that will internalize to know what they think. My wife's more of uh, the introvert. But 
I, what I was noticing is a common characteristic in couples. I, I was counseling these couples who were struggling, if I can just share it this way, with communication in their marriage. One or both were reacting to the other involuntarily uh, and uh, without conscious thought, like rolling the eyes, sighing in exasperation, which I mentioned before, and quickly escalating all signs of reactivity. And they were completely unaware of it. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that we could measure both temperament and temperament expression and then provide the individual with the profile of their responsiveness versus reactivity. And that's what we've created in about 8,000 hours of work. Wow. We have an assessment tool. Wow, 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 wow. And by the way, I've got a link, by the way, to the WelchTherapyInstitute.com. And there's several things in the book that will help you start doing some of that processing as well. So again, the book is called The Responsive Marriage, Finding the Path Out of Reactivity. Fabulous concept, one that you and I can learn to do back after this. in complicated times. At In the Market, we're helping you interpret complex cultural issues through the lens of Scripture. Our team of partial partners is growing, and to say thank you, they receive exclusive information from me. In fact, I talk to you directly from my personal computer to yours by email. Become a partial partner today and you'll receive these exclusive benefits. Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're spending the hour with Dr. Donald Welch, who is the founder and CEO of the Welch Family Therapy Institute. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's a certified sex therapist with over 30 years of experience in the fields of mental health and relationship skills. And he's teaching us today about reactivity. So he's written a wonderful book called The Responsive Marriage, in opposition to reactivity, Respond, Finding the Path Out of Reactivity. It's absolutely thought-provoking, and I think... It's just common sense, although, as I noted earlier, it's slightly radical because we have decided that feelings rule the day. I was thinking when you were talking before, Dr. Welch, this idea of thinking through and clicking on the cognitive before the affective, I think that's why the book of James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If I can create some time in there, I'm going to flip over and I'm going to say, wait a minute, think this through, use that frontal lobe, and think before you act. Yes, that is really, really good, um, because oh, I, I think of it in this, these terms. That's a great scripture. It's so powerfully said. Of course, it's truth that changes mm-hmm. lives. Uh, I, I, I'm just wondering if I could add, why then do couples, they, they might confuse present conflict with past wounds. Oh, and yes, good. Then, they, then it causes reactive tendencies in the, the marriage. Um, this this idea is that I include several methods in the book to identify reactivity and understand its origin. So we go into that part. But one method is to take the Welch Responsive Temperament Assessment. It's called the WRTA, which I describe in detail in the book. Mm-hmm. But it provides each person and the couple with Janet with valuable information about their temperament and how they express their temperament in either responsive or reactive ways. So we think of it in terms of awareness provides the opportunity to choose. Jesus did that often with people. He asked blind Bartimaeus, what would you like for me to do for you? And I'm sure his disciples kind of 
you know, nudged him a little bit. Jesus, he, he wants to see, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, he asked him to choose. He asks us to choose. And you mentioned that at the very onset of our discussion here, or I'm, I'm on your show, you, you invited me on, but that this idea of choice is incredibly important. So armed with this information, there's lots of tools and methods in the book, and also a separate handbook that comes with the WRTA designed to help couples manage their reactivity and improve their uh, relationships. Fabulous. And, and on behalf of everyone listening, thank you for those tools. So best place to find them in the book and in conjunction with the website. So just make this easy for my friends to find out where these resources yes. are. It's all in the book. And okay, actually, excellent. in the very back of the book, it tells you where to go. I list all of the, the tools that would be of, of help to them um, that I believe. Really, this was built on the anvil of when my wife and I were the counseling pastor at Skyline Church, a large church here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. For 15 years, we had a couples class. She's not a therapist, my wife, but she's actually more healthy than I am. <laughs> we, we, took, we took six personality assessments before we were married, because I'm into, you can see, assessments. Sure. And this truly happened. We took them, and then I said, hey, honey, we're not married yet. And we've always said we had more problems before our marriage than we ever have after we've been married, and that's true. But I said, I have a seventh assessment. Would you would you be willing to take it? And she looked at me, Janet, and said, well, honey, you know all six of the ones that we took together. They showed that I'm more healthy than you are. Why don't you just go ahead and take that assessment yourself? <laughs> I never took the assessment. Never, never took the assessment. <laughs> Wise counsel from your wife. Is that perhaps, sir, why you took this book and dedicated to her in the first place? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly why I dedicated it. Uh, she she was and probably probably is a little more healthy than I am. And I'm so thankful that she's in my life and wow. uh, she's precious. That's wonderful. Wow. Well, this takes us, by the way, I, I was thinking... Uh, in anticipation of our conversation today in your bio when it says sex therapist. There were years, because I've been doing this for decades, where you would be loath to say the word sex therapist on Christian radio. I'm so thankful that God is raising up people like you who are addressing this. I keep saying it isn't the world, it's God who designed sex. And so I think it's imperative that we get Christian counselors who talk to us about this. But there's a corollary. And that is you've been talking about temperament. You've been talking about reactivity. All of this intersects in the idea of intimacy. So define intimacy and talk to me about the elements of intimacy. Okay. Yes. Well, it's, I, I define it like this. It's a close relationship that does not operate at the expense of the self with a self that does not operate at the expense of the other and in which each person is fully known and faithfully loved. Mm. That, that is too long, isn't it? But the no, concept wonderful. is that we... It's, when God ordained marriage, it was two full people. Psalms 139 says we're individually and uniquely knit together, I mean, in, in the womb of the mother. And so there's no two people alike. So you want to make sure of that complementarity. This is a little bit of science in marriage and family. The complementarity is something that draws us and we're attracted to before marriage, and we can attack it after marriage. Wow. We, can't, we want to influence someone to be like us, so after marriage, and that can ruin and very seriously disturb a marriage when we do not allow that full choice of the other person. So I, I use, to answer your question, I use four C's to describe intimacy, and that's closeness, 
and then choice, curiosity, and then cleaving. Mm. And choice is so important. I try to teach this to my university students, and I'll say, okay, I'm going to share you a little bit about choice. May I do that real quickly here, Janet? Please. Oh, yes. So I put my hand up like I'm answering a phone, and I say, oh, hi, hon, do you have a moment to talk? And she says, uh, no, I don't. I can't talk right now. Can I talk to you in about a, an hour? Oh, no, I'm going with a client. I have a client I'm meeting with an hour. How about two hours? And no, I can't do that. I, I can meet in about three. By then, one of my students raises his, his or her hand and says, hey, prof, what in the world? Why not just ask your question? <laughs> and I said, well, I think we, we might want to consider the fact that the choice, my wife has the choice to say, I don't believe so at this point, and I can tolerate that anxiety rather than controlling her and saying, I've got to get an answer right now. That's destructive for a marriage. So more than we can, the more we can develop choice in a marriage, the more healthy, healthy it is and having a voice. So choice is freedom of decision. Voice is freedom of opinion. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's very good. And if I've learned anything so far in the conversation and reading the book, that this reactivity has and has the potential of really denigrating or eliminating intimacy. And yet God designs yes. us for intimacy. So this is where a lot of people are going, okay, well, I don't get it. It's involuntary. It's part of my temperament. I'm not even thinking about it. It happens first. Um, where does self-awareness come in all of this? So in other words, if I need to stop and think and I want to flip, not lead with my feelings, but leave with my thinking part. And by the way, I was thinking when you were talking before, isn't the sidebar story in all of this, the fruit of the spirit, patience, love, self-control, yes. all of that. Right. Isn't that, that's flipping Absolutely. the switch, is it not? Peace, patience, kindness, love, right. forbearance. Yes, I have a quick response to that, and that is that we actually separate. So let me just set it up. Say I say something to my wife, and I go, oh, I didn't really want to say that. I didn't mean that, actually. But I've said it. She doesn't feel good about it. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen very often. But let's say that happens. Sometimes we'll say something or do something. We'll, we'll kind of take a deep breath or sigh or one of these involuntary reactions, and then, and then we're off to the races, whoever that might be, you know, as a couple. Mm -hmm. We stop then. We stop at that point, and I give for, uh, very clear directions how to do this repair. This is, this is not this is not, uh, it sounds a little elementary, but it's profoundly helpful. My wife and I, we've practiced this for decades, and that is you would stop and say, Oh, when I heard you say that, say the other person, when I heard you say that, I feel afraid, scared, and cornered. At that point, that is choice and voice inactivated. And therefore, I have to repeat that back. That's validation. So people that are disruptive all the time have low validation. So if I validate both feelings and perception, there can be healing because we do oftentimes feel something and then react. Uh, let, me, let me give an example of I just made real quickly. People will say this is true, and it's, it's actually a misnomer. It's not true. Uh, the person will say, I just feel like you don't love me. Well, that's not a feeling. It's a thought. If I say it this way, it combines both feeling and thought. When I experience you raising your voice, I feel scared, afraid, and cornered. That's including both my experience perception and my feeling. Mm -hmm. And when a couple does that well, you have to practice it almost daily, 
because we can become reactive in moments mm-hmm. where we're not hydrated, we're tired, something you know has happened in life that's very challenging, and we're a little bit irritated, and therefore we stop right after that reactivity and actually do uh, a repair. Oh, wow. Fabulous. You, I'm going to pick up on a couple of things that you said. You said something about interrupting. And when you're interrupted, you don't feel validated. That's profound. And that also, I think, raises the question of what it means to be an active listener. And you're talking to couples in marriage. How important is it to be not just hearing, but being... Why do I always ask these questions before the music starts? Forgive me for that. Let me ask the question and I'll wait for the answer on the other side. But this hearing versus listening and what it means to be an active listener and how that helps me, again, get out of reactivity, but move to response instead. Dr. Don Welch is with us. Isn't this stuff rich? And for a lot of us, this is a very first time exposure. But as Dr. Welch has said multiple times, the science substantiates it. And you'll notice that he can talk science, but he can talk scripture equally. So the two are hand in hand in learning how to fine tune the way in which we interact. You know, we always want once upon a time, they lived happily ever after. When you think about it, two sinners under one roof, then live happily ever after. Can't do that without Jesus, that's for sure. Back after this. Founder of the Welch Family Therapy Institute, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, Dr. Don Welch is with us. He has written the book, The Responsive Marriage, Finding the Path Out of Reactivity. It's very, very rich and a wonderfully radical, and I put those two words together on purpose, way of thinking about how we interact with our spouse. It really echoes so much of the truths we find in Scripture. So I raised the question about listening before. The distinction, Dr. Welch, between hearing and listening, built off your comment that interrupting is a way of not validating the other person. It's why you get so frustrated when husbands and wife are saying, you're stepping all over everything I'm saying. I want you to hear me. Well, so is there a distinctive between listening and hearing? And why is active listening so paramount in building intimacy? I use, Janet, I use AIR, A-I-R, as an acronym to help people remember the essential elements of active listening. These are affirm, inquire, that's the validating the other person, what they're saying, and then reflect or repeat. So affirm, inquire, and reflect or repeat. So when one intentionally does all three of these actions while they are listening to another, it's like giving oxygen to the one who has been underwater or without air for a bit of time. It brings refreshment and relief to the person who is listened to in this way. And I might add this. You, we, we might say that men, and I'm a male, so we sometimes don't have a clue what we feel. And how does this impact a marriage in listening? Because so, men are typically not taught to understand their feelings or how to express them mm-hmm. in healthy ways. But in many cases, the only feeling men feel comfortable with is anger. You know, it's like the movie theaters. All the movies for men, right? Someone comes in and takes your wife, your family, your kids, and you spend the rest of the movie going after that guy and again to get him with anger. Mm-hmm. But, but since women are relators, they generally speak in the language of feelings. So what we're talking about in the book, some men might say, oh, well, that's a feeling. I don't want to go to a therapist anyway because they just mm-hmm. want to know how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually men speak in 
language of facts, but if a man doesn't know the language of feelings at all, when he gets married, it's as if he's traveled to a foreign country <laughs> without any attempt to learn the language of that country. And eventually this will create significant conflict in the marriage since the man will be reporting more and more facts to try and convince his wife that he's right. I heard someone ask one time, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Because you probably won't be able to do both. So to create intimacy in the marriage, the man needs to learn. I do too. I'm always learning to get out of this head and into my heart. In the book, I provide very practical and simple ways for the husband and the couple to start using the language of feelings more and more. Give air, A-I-R, affirm, inquire, and reflect or repeat. I wrote that down. I think that's so good. So there's a conundrum, it seems to me. Maybe I'm missing this. So if men tend to not be, quote, in touch with their feelings, to use common language, and yet its feelings might be some of the issue here because they're preeminent in our reactivity and we're trying to learn to respond. So wouldn't some male listening right now say, well, Dr. Welch, why would I want to get in touch with my feelings? Aren't I on a better path already? Because if I'm not talking about my feelings, maybe I'm thinking better and I'm going to be more responsive than reactive. Well, I would ask the man, uh, this may be too forward, uh, would you let your company uh, just fail? Mm. Uh, because there's no emotion. I'll give an example of this. Uh, I've asked couples after couple, even in, in groups where we're teaching, and I'll ask, have you ever been in a discussion with your wife, and all of a sudden you start missing each other, you're getting anxious, you're you're rolling your eyes, you're sighing, and, and then, then have you ever been in that kind of argument, and then you look at each other and ask, what are we fighting over? I lost where we were fighting. And almost all hands go up. I've been amazed whenever I've asked that question many, many times. What that's illustrating to me is that the couple has defaulted to a business relationship. And in a business relationship, we just talk about facts. Maybe 80% business, the facts, get the widget done, and 20% how's your family. But we invert that in a marriage. 80% should be how's your wife, how's she doing, and how's your husband, you know, back and forth. And couples tend to default to a business relationship because we talk about facts. Did you get the dry cleaning done? How are you ready to get take the kids to uh, to the game, the soccer game? Are you taking our doggy out for their business? That kind of thing. And it, without intentionality, we will actually default to entropy, which most organizations will without intentionality. Wow. wow entropy. Yeah. Please, yeah. go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say, I should have said entropy is where most organisms and organizations are moving toward destruction uh, without intervention. Wow. Fabulous. So a word that's often used in the world of counseling is that feelings are not good or bad. They just are. As you look at the models that you've set up and the way you're teaching us about being a responsive rather than a reactive marriage, does that statement still hold? Um, may I say it this way from the Bible, that um, the Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing, mm. and many of us are anxious for everything. <laughs> so how do we manage our anxiety in relationships and life? Uh, let me, if I just may say first that God would not tell us to do something if it were not possible to do, even if supernatural assistance is needed. So anxiety is actually a 
God-created brain mechanism used to focus our attention on something important. It's the classic, we've all heard this, the flight, the fight, flight, freeze response, mm-hmm. triggered when our brain's limbic system, you know, perceives a threat, which then causes our sympathetic nervous system to sound the alarm. The problem is that we often perceive threats where none exist, or we elevate them relatively minor adversities to the threat level. And over time, we then develop patterns that train our brain to react with anxiety more often and more intensity. So most feelings are not neutral. Mm. Most feelings are tied to something. You know, that's funny. I I had this sense that that's exactly what you would say. So again, that's something out there in the culture, but it really doesn't find its basis in truth or in biblical reality as well. I have 30 seconds left. What do you mean when you talk about the need for a marital rest stop? Well, speed is the enemy of the relationship because for a couple to have time every night together or morning where they spend five or ten minutes is so incredibly important and it's the most difficult thing that I find helping couples to do. They're too busy, they've never done it, and they've never practiced naming their feelings and naming their perception and validating both. Oh, this conversation is so very rich and all I can say to my friends is in your book, The Responsive Marriage, there is oh so much more so if you've been blessed and i hope you have been by what you've learned from dr welch during this conversation this hour please get the book because this really is about the freedom of choice that we have to really and truly learn how to develop intimacy in our relationship based on being responsive rather than reacting and so that's what this book is all about it's so good it's so rich it's so true it's so biblical and it's so encouraging. So check it out. It's on my website. Dr. Welch, thank you for a fabulous conversation. We'll see you next time, friends.